Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to remind everybody to not get sucked into the magical thinking. There's a whole bunch of folks in this country, whether or not they live in Washington, D.C. or New York, work in the media, they're big donors. They want you to think everything is normal. It's not. Times have changed and we have to change with them. This is not a fight, guys, between Republicans and Democrats. This is a fight between those that believe in democracy and those that would tear it down. I need everybody to go to lincolnproject.us and sign up today to join this movement. If we do it together, we have the opportunity to decide what tomorrow looks like, but we can't get to tomorrow unless we win today. Thanks again, everybody. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again joined by Jeff Timmer, senior advisor to The Lincoln Project, former executive director of the Michigan Republic Party, and host of the podcast, A Republic If You Can Keep It, wherever fine podcasts are found. Jeff, great to have you back. I'm glad to be here, Reed. Listen, I want to talk a little bit today about Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and the sort of early formation of a 2024 Republican field that has Donald Trump as sort of its centerpiece, but we want to talk about these other folks. want to talk about the GOP in general and how you see 2023. I also want to spend a couple of minutes on some of the stuff we're seeing out of the Dominion Voting Systems Fox News thing. But before we do any of that, I want to talk a little bit about something that's very close to your home and to your heart. And that was the recent shooting at Michigan State University, where several kids were killed several more were wounded. I believe you are a Michigan State alum and you have college age, I think three college age kids. And so, you know, Michigan, you know, it was also just a couple of years ago, had a school shooting at a high school where a couple of kids died, including one who was brave enough to, I think, to try and take on the shooter. So I want to talk first and foremost, Jeff, as a Michigander and a Spartan, how it feels when it comes that close to home. And then I want to talk a little bit about what it feels like to be a parent of kids who are that age. Mine are younger than yours, but get your sense politically how your kids and their cohort are seeing this. I remember being on this broadcast, or perhaps it was one of the streaming ones, Lunch with Lincoln or something, after there was a school shooting in Oxford, Michigan. I remember talking to you after the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And I remember during each of those previous times, talking about when is enough going to be enough? How many times do we have to keep having this conversation? And I, I said then, and I say now, we need to have the will to say enough is enough. I mean, God damn it, it's time for this to stop happening, for generations of kids to stop living in fear, for parents to stop living in fear. And we've convinced ourselves, kind of the collective we, that this is far more complicated than it is. We need to say enough and have a zero tolerance policy toward this. 
yes, I recognize, and I think anybody with two brain cells recognizes, we're not going to stop every crazy and every evil action in this world, in this country, but there are sane steps that we can take, and we need to be committed to taking them. And I'm glad that we, as the Lincoln Project, I'm glad that me personally, I'm glad that in Michigan, there is the political leadership and will now, this year, to do it that did not exist last year. Common sense things, red flag laws, background checks, safe storage laws. I don't pretend to be an expert in all the things that can be done, but I have urged the Michigan Democrats in Lansing who are going to be tackling this policy immediately to be bold. You know, the politics be damned. Do not be intimidated by fear of what Republican elected officials, how they react to it. I don't expect a Republican elected official to vote for this, and that shouldn't be the goal. Republican voters will support this. These are 70, 80, 90% issues among voters in Michigan and in the country. And it is time to say enough and take some action that will minimize the frequency of this tragic slaughter that we've somehow just accepted that will happen on a weekly basis. And, you know, it happens and we all remember the name of the town for a minute. And then, you know, a month later, we can't remember the town from a month ago because there's been so many in between. You know, we're here on a Friday. Earlier this week was the shooting in East Lansing and then, you know, the the five-year anniversary of the Parkland shooting, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and, and a shout out to Fred Guttenberg, who lost his daughter, Jamie, and all the incredible work he and, and the other parents there have done. But we're so past thoughts and prayers. But that's where a lot of our former Republican brethren, like that's as far as they're going to go. And most of these shootings are taking place with typically young white men, typically with AR-15s. And then you see people in Washington, D.C. and Congress who think it's funny to pin the likeness of an AR-15 to their lapels as they walk into the U.S. House of Representatives as if this is all some sort of joke. It's all some sort of troll. And what I don't understand, Jeff, we both worked in Republican politics a long time. This is supposed to be the quote-unquote pro-life party. But with the slaughter of innocents and the slaughter of children, right? And an AR-15, like if you're hunting a deer with an AR-15, I guess you're trying to make venison hamburger or something, right? Because it ain't, you ain't going to get what you want on the back end, literally and figuratively. Were we always this inhuman? Was the, was the party always this inhuman? And we just sort of, we, you and I accepted it for probably far too long. I just, I don't get it. I don't get where, where the ugliness has taken over, where this is funny to some people. I've thought a lot about that, and I don't know the answer. I'd like to think that the answer is no, that we weren't always like that. But it really, these instances, those lapel pins, really underscore how broken and defective the consciousness, the morality of the Republicans as a collective has become. There are many, they don't even bother with the thoughts and prayers anymore. They just whistle past this. You know, the former now Republican leader in the Michigan State Senate last year during 2022, when Governor Whitmer and Lansing Democrats were urging action on common sense gun laws that could get bipartisan support, or certainly that have bipartisan voter support, even if they don't have bipartisan elected support. He said something about, you know, this is the price we have to pay for freedom. We just need to accept it. 
I'm paraphrasing his quote, but he was that callous in his, we just have to accept what happened in Oxford High School or at Michigan State University or in Uvalde, Texas or, you know, Parkland, Florida. We just have to accept that and move on. You know, there's two things at work here. One is the enormous power of NRA money and how it influences Republican politics. It is about money and money is the path to power and power is the goal. Ideology is the lipstick that they put on power to try to make it justifiable that, you know, we're protecting your Second Amendment right. If we do anything, the tyrannical government's going to, you know, oppress you and you're going to be serfs and slaves to the deep state because they're going to have all the guns and you won't have any power. The people that are down the Fox News, Newsmax, OAN bubble have a completely different view of reality than most Americans and most people in the world have. They don't see this in the same way that you and I see it. It's like a form of moral colorblindness. You know, the whole idea of the concept of freedom or liberty, as I always thought about it, was I get to live my life the way I want to live my life right up until the point at which it determines whether or not you can live your life the way you want to live yours. And what you said about that Republican politician is this is the cost of freedom. So what that guy is basically saying is my version of freedom is your kids have to die so I can keep my guns. And that's not my definition of freedom or liberty, Jeff, which is when I put my kids on the bus in the morning, freedom isn't, well, maybe they'll survive the lockdown. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. Somewhere along the way over the last few generations, there's been this culture of gun worship that has risen or been planted in the Republican Party to manipulate the voters to bring power. There's this notion almost that the Constitution consists of the Second Amendment and a lot of other things. But the Second Amendment is like the sacrosanct place where our rights begin, and everything else is less than to that. And the right to life, liberty, and happiness, those God-given rights, is where the founding of this country began. And the Bill of Rights that was amended to the Constitution, there's not a hierarchical composition to them. but that's not true in the mind of a Republican or a America first kind of voter. And we're not just in a political battle. This is not normal. We are in an existential cultural war for the future of our way of life. And so many people, you know, you know give credit again to our friend Trigby Olson, are playing the game that they know and understand and trying to look at this through a lens of partisan politics, I'm sure there are a lot of people that you and I have worked with over our careers who would hear this conversation and be incensed. They'd be outraged at the way we're talking about this because they would think that we're the ones who've lost our minds and are being brainwashed. Let me ask you this. In the context of being a dad and being a dad of Gen Zers, I think a lot of these kids who turned out last year have grown up, you know, there are now Gen Zers who are of voting age and those who are going to be coming online before November of 2024, who, you know, there's a great band, the Drive-By Truckers. They wrote a song on their latest album called Thoughts and Prayers, and they call them Generation Lockdown. And I think it's a brilliant expression because these are kids for whom, and my kids are now part of it too, and they're not in high school yet, where to your point, they are already saying, they have said with their voices, enough is enough. They said it last year. We need them to say it again next year. But how do your kids see it? Is the dad of someone whose kids are now 
finally of voting age, you know, who are awakening in their own way politically, how do they see the world? They're incredulous that this happens. And I guess I'd boil it down to like, nobody cares and does anything about it. We do these public tearing of clothes and, you know, expressions of platitude grief. Kids become hashtags. Kids who were alive on Monday are now hashtags. Their families are grieving and having to be forced to do so publicly as part of a cause. And, and the kids are just like, why is this happening? Why aren't we doing something about it? And I, I loved watching the Michigan State students who went to the Capitol in Michigan on Wednesday, had a sit-in on the front of the Capitol, inside the Capitol, and, you know, with their signs and kind of a peaceful protest symbolizing it's the time for action is now. We're going to keep doing this until you do something. And, you know, they're getting those assurances and promises from Governor Whitmer, from the Democrat leadership majorities in the state house. Those are very slim one vote majorities. They can't afford to lose any votes. So they're going to have their political work cut out to make this all happen. But this is the best opportunity Michigan has had in a long time to pass common sense gun laws. I, I guess I really want to be critical of President Biden. I'm not often critical, but Democratic leadership, who for the last two years didn't do anything about this in Washington, supposedly because of the Senate rules. We either have the will and the desire to put an end to this, or we don't. You know, guns aren't going to go away, but we can cut down and curtail this. We saw for 10 years during the 1994 to 2004 ban on assault rifles. We have scientific data. The frequency of mass shootings was a fraction of what it has become since. And that is ignored by a whole lot of people. I just want to say one thing on the kids that sat in at the Capitol. And then I think there was another kind of demonstration maybe in Florida with LGBT. I don't know if they were kids or activists. And now you see national Republicans, especially Republicans in Congress and the Tucker Carlson's world, equating these people to the January 6th insurrectionists and rioters, right? Which is civil disobedience and civil action is different than storming the Capitol building of the United States in order to effect a coup. But they need it to be equivalent to one, fire up their people, and two, to try and get back some of those people that we talk to, those soft Republicans and conservative-leaning independents. That's the equivalency that they want to create, right? That everything is the same. These people going and demanding something from government is the same as these other people that, you know, killed five cops and tried to beat up everybody and went at the behest of Trump. And I think that we can never let them get away with that. Exactly right. And I know you mentioned we were going to talk about this, the veil being pulled back on some of the uh, attitudes and behind the scenes at Fox News in this Dominion lawsuit show the people involved in perpetrating the propaganda, creating the illusion, stoking the fear and anger, know exactly what they're doing. It's a strategy. I mean, they laugh about it almost in the same way that the people with the lapel pins of AR-15s do. It's all about money. Money equates to power, and power allows them to exist. And which I've said, they're no longer a political party, they're a gang. Because that's the same thing a gang does, right? Force, power, territory. I mean, that's what they are. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much revealed in that. And I'm sorry if I'm, this is the artful uh, segue into that, but Rupert Murdoch, the message about how, you know, just focus everything into trying to win the Senate elections in Georgia, that comment, you know, it just shows how the power is used 
without any transparency, without any disclosure, without any accountability to manipulate our elections. They know that what they're saying is not true. All those messages reveal the callous attitude that the people at Fox have about, you know, this was in the context of the 2020 election. But the same thing happens with the gun issue. There are people that are true believers in their bullshit and talking points about the, you know, there's nothing we can do. The only thing that will stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. I've seen all kinds of shit this week. You know, this wouldn't have happened if the students at Michigan State were carrying guns. Yeah, that's what we need is a bunch of, you know, high school kids, college kids with guns. So let's stay on Fox for a second. So just to reset, some text messages came out, I think was it last night or today, Jeff, Dominion Voting Systems is suing Fox News for, I believe, $1.6 billion for basically defaming them in the context of saying that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. And whether or not it was Rupert Murdoch, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, they all said that they knew that Sydney, what's her name, the Kraken lady, was crazy, was full of it. They knew it was all BS. And yet they went along with it. They went on the air. Fox's defense, Jeff, back to the Bill of Rights, is it's their First Amendment right to do this stuff because they were bringing up a legitimate issue about whether or not the 2020 election was free or fair, which is pretty thin soup, I think, to stand on, considering that the entire network, as you said, was willing to perpetrate these lies on behalf of Trump. Even they said like Rudy Giuliani, you know, Sydney, what's her name might be crazy, but Rudy's even worse, right? They're all there. And they sit there and they know whether or not Tucker's at his house in Maine or his house in Palm Beach or, you know, Hannity's in New York or Ingram's, wherever the hell it is she lives, because none of them actually go to the office anymore. Right. They don't have to. Is that they all knew it was bullshit. They were all willing to go along with it. They were all willing to follow their marching orders because, as Stuart Stevens has said previously, and I think he might be right, they want to see maybe if it would work. It's fascinating looking at the first reveal of those messages. I'm actually quite stunned that Fox let it get this far without settling this case before the veil was pulled back on, on this, because it really does have the ability to not only financially impact them, but cause so much more damage. I mean, this, this could be the 21st century kind of free speech equivalent to shouting fire in a crowded theater case. There are limits to free speech. In the context of a, an election campaign, you can't use your free speech, you know, as a political party or a candidate to tell voters you're not eligible to vote. Election day is on Wednesday, not Tuesday. There are things that you can't do. You shouldn't be able to just put out things that are demonstrably untrue. Joe Biden didn't get this many votes. He didn't win. Go to the Capitol and don't let him become president. I mean, that's not free speech. That is incitement to sedition. That is incitement to riot. But also the downstream effect, Jeff, of now two plus years of this, because remember is that, you know, maybe they're not talking about the voting machines anymore. And I think that's specific to what Sydney, what's her name? Sydney Kraken. I can't ever remember her last name was talking Powell, about. Powell. Sydney Powell. Thank you. You know, that this was a ruse by the dead Hugo Chavez and the Venezuelans. Right. And yada. I mean, it's just insanity. But two plus years later now, Jeff. In recent surveys, 70% of Republican voters say that the 2020 election was not free and fair and that they think Donald Trump won. And so, you know, it's not just about ratings or keeping people inside the disinformation, misinformation bubble. 
their actions have had tangible effects. Now, I would venture to say, you know, you, you talked about Fox settling. I would venture to say that they have desperately tried to settle and Dominion says, we're going to trial. We're going to trial. And if you're not going to go to trial, here's the settlement. We want our billion dollars. And every night for a year, Hannity, Tucker, and Laura Ingram are going to have to say the 2020 election was freely and fairly won by Joe Biden. And if you will commit to that, then maybe we'll settle with you. But until and unless, like, we're going to have all of these people in discovery, none of them are going to lie, right, Jeff, because they're, they're not going down for Donald Trump. They don't want to perjure themselves. Then they will come back with, it was the deep state, Dominion's part of the deep state, whatever it is. There's always an excuse. They'll always ultimately come back to, well, we didn't do anything wrong. It was really Trump's fault. We were just going along with what we were being told. It's an issue, Jeff, that like the American people should know about. But to your point, this is the effective equivalent of yelling fire in a movie theater the size of the United States. I mean, it just shows the tremendous power of propaganda. Um, and the people represent less than a majority of Americans and less than a majority of voters. But it's too damn close to comfort for a majority. And, you know, we've seen their ability to punch above their weight in certain circumstances. And there are a variety of reasons. Some of it is because they punched above their weight, and some of it was because of malpractice and incompetence of like the DCCC in the last election, in my view at least. But they won just enough to give them a fresh breath and, you know, regain some footing here. And they fuel it with this very sophisticated propaganda machine to keep people stoked and deluded. And we're in it for a long haul. I mean, Think about the exhaustion that so many folks who are wrapped up in this, Jeff, some of whom we were friends and colleagues with, right? The emotional and mental exhaustion that they must feel on a daily basis, but they go back to it because it's like an addict. It's like somebody who needs to go back. They need their fix. They've got to be angry about something. And if they weren't angry about it, what are they even doing? It's the QAnon stuff. I'm bored. I'm lonely. I'm angry. I need to be part of something bigger than myself. Here's QAnon, which makes no goddamn sense, which emanated out of God knows where, that sends out signals that don't mean anything other than to the person who sent them. And now you have hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people tuned in and ready to do God knows what. And, you know, for me, you know, from a political violence perspective, to take a hard right turn into something, Jeff, for me, my biggest worry is that the U.S. Capitol two years ago was the tip of the iceberg. It wasn't the end of something. It was the beginning of something. And there are a lot of Americans who are radicalized. And if it's 5 million Americans, that's scary. If it's 25 million Americans, that's downright terrifying. But we know that, you know, there are a significant number of people who are part of what I would call the MAGA movement. And I think we should just take a second here, Jeff, to say that it is a movement. It is an authoritarian movement. The Republican Party is its political wing. It is the wing that serves to nominate and elect candidates to public office, to pass laws, to do those sorts of things. And then you've got Fox and OANN and everybody else who does their dirty work from a messaging perspective. Then you have the financiers. They just pump hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars a year into this stuff. It never stops. The money never turns off. There's always more. There's always more people. And, you know, that's one thing that concerns me, Jeff, is just, you know, I don't want to lose on logistics. I don't want to lose because 
they had the money to register more voters or have more poll watchers or do, you know, however many more times digital ads or whatever, just because when the time came, the bad guys, you know, were making it rain and the good guys were rubbing nickels together. What shocks me is we're coming up on the end of eight years. June 16th begins the ninth year of Donald Trump descending the golden, you know, kind of Jethro Bodine escalator. There are still so many people that still view themselves as the governing sane class of the Republican Party. I mean, they know a lot of this stuff. They're watching it and go, I can't believe it either. But, you know, wow, now Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley is going to be able to change all that. They're completely deluding themselves. They don't understand how much the game has changed, how far the needle has shifted. What was intolerable has become completely mainstreamed in, in the Republican Party. And it's, you know, our politics used to take place between the 40-yard lines. The Republicans are back in their own end zone. And that's where the mainstream is. And there are people that are pretending otherwise. And so let's talk about that. Let's shift to 24 for a second, as far as Republicans are concerned, Jeff. So Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former ambassador to the United Nations, launched her campaign. She put a video out. And before we get into the substance of it, I want to talk a little bit about the style because the substance informs the style. The video they put out is three and a half minutes long. And it was like something that we would have put together for George W. Bush in 1999. Then you see her announcement event, the same thing, nothing of substance to speak of. Then you see she was up in New Hampshire, the same thing, same hall that's been used eight gajillion times by every single possible political candidate. And what it said to me, because Jeff, you know, is an old advanced man, and I know everybody gets sick of me saying that, is, you know, the events were always the furthest extent of the campaign's power. It actually is where messaging, the candidate, the press, the political guys, the supporters, everything came together on that stage. And what it says about Nikki Haley is like, there's no there there. I mean, they didn't even put their website on the banner. It's like, they're not even 1998, they're like 1988, right? It's just, it was like something out of a different time. But this is something that we've been talking about at the Lincoln Project. Rick, you know, has a phrase for it, which is, you know, 2015 thinking. I mean, even Senator Mitt Romney said the same thing, which is like, I'm really concerned now that you guys think that this is like the old days. Those days are gone in every conceivable way. There is a new world waiting for us, and we can be a part. We should be a part of talking about what that looks like. But why is it so hard for people to understand that the world that we all knew is gone? I want to talk about Nikki Haley. I have some thoughts on Nikki Haley, but I just want to mention Mitt Romney real quick because Mitt was asked this week if he'd support Donald Trump, and I applaud him for saying, no, I will not. But then the follow-up came, will you support Joe Biden? He says, I can't imagine I would ever do that. And that shows me how naive and childish that thinking is in this zero-sum game. There is no alternative. You either support Joe Biden or you benefit Donald Trump. So I, I don't mean to belabor that point, but that's my thought about Mitt Romney. He came perilously close to being brave. Listen, I mean, I've had a lot of phone calls in the last few days from people who are like, I can't believe you're a Democrat now. I can't believe you're not being nice to moderate Republicans. I can't believe you think that somehow Joe Biden and the Democratic Party are beyond reproach. And I said, here's the deal. This is not a fight between Republicans and Democrats. This is not a fight between right and left. This is a fight between right and wrong, between light and dark, between democracy and authoritarianism. And for me, whether or not it's Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, or any quote unquote moderate Republican right now, they are fruit of the poison tree. Some of them will make you less sick. 
but they'll still make you sick. And so this is the part where like, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who are unwilling or unable to see that, like saying that, you know, the two party system is broken. Fine. You're right. It is that Americans should have more choices. You're right. They should. But the house is on fire. And now is not the time to say, hey, honey, do you think we should remodel the kitchen? Wonderful way to put it. I love that line. I think being the advanced guy, the optics of Nikki Haley's announcement show what I was saying earlier about how far the needle has shifted and how normalized the abnormal, how tolerable the intolerable has become. The pastor that she had do the welcoming prayer is a vile, bigot, racist, homophobe, would have in our day, we would have recognized the optics of putting up somebody who's a lightning rod like that. I mean, it is a kind of David Duke with a preacher's collar kind of dude who the supposed normal Republican Nikki Haley has to put out there to start her presidential campaign. And the donor chattering class of the Republican Party who still thinks, you know, does that 2015 thinking says, well, they justify it. She has to do that because that's like being in 1938 Germany and saying, you know, you got to say that Jew stuff, you know, even if you don't believe it, you just got to go, you know, that's just the price of doing business today. Once you've made that bargain, it's all over. Right. And, and this is the deal with the devil. And I was talking to a group last Friday night, Jeff, and there was uh, probably 15, 20 people. And one of them was a guy from Florida, a Republican, but the Republican I don't want anything to do with Trump. I don't want Trump back. I don't want Trump back. I don't want Trump back. First surprise is that they all were shocked when I said Donald Trump is most likely going to win the nomination, right? And if he doesn't, he'll burn the whole thing down. But this person in particular who seemed like a fine person, right? Fine guy said, I'm all behind DeSantis. And I said, let me ask you something. To be for Ron DeSantis, you have to be okay for African-American history AP stuff, for the anti-gay stuff, for the anti-education stuff, for the bullying, for the transgressive nature of being an asshole for the sake of being an asshole. And I posit to this gentleman and I say to you, Jeff, what you're basically saying, whether you believe it or not, is I'm okay with all of the stuff that's happened up to now. I just am embarrassed by Donald Trump. And I'd rather have somebody run through the car wash so that when I'm at the country club or I'm playing tennis or I'm out to dinner, that I don't have to be embarrassed because, you know, Trump is such a goon and he dances to YMCA. DeSantis, he's a Harvard guy. He's a Yale guy, Jeff. He was in the military, right? He makes me feel good. The big money guys are okay with it, but they have to be okay with everything else that he's standing for. And they seem to be okay with that. And that is why, Jeff, I'm sorry I'm, I'm on my soapbox, why when somebody says, do you think the GOP in this time is redeemable, I say the answer is no. It's not. And I thought your piece in, in Resolute Square on this subject was so spot on. And you're right. They're not opposed to Trumpism. They're not opposed to totalitarianism. They're not opposed to all of the wrongs versus the rights. They just want it to be able to eat with silverware. They want to be able to take it to the club and it can sit at the table with them and not make everybody look at them sideways. Because God forbid, Jeff, you get Joe Biden and the communists. Oh, yeah. Because that's yeah, the right, false right. bargain. That's the false equivalency they make. Right. And we're going to hear it so much between now and 2024 and, and beyond. The Republican Party needs to lose many elections for a generation before this rot is gone from the right. And there are many ways to attack this going forward. But we have to stop the arterial bleeding before any of that can happen. So before we get to 24, as we wrap here, give us a sense of how you see now that we're six weeks into 2023, 
what does the rest of the year look like to you? What do you think we're likely to see? And I know I'm asking to put to look into a very cloudy crystal ball. Well, all the eyes in in the media is going to love the focus on the horse race on the Republican side. They're going to pretend that there is one. Donald Trump is far and away stronger today than he was in 2015 or 2016 in every nook and cranny of the Republican Party. There are so many people pretending otherwise. He is going to be so much more difficult to beat in 24 than he was. I, I do believe for a time in 2015 or 2016, he was vulnerable in a one-on-one -on -one race against a what passed for normal then, you know, call it Marco Rubio or John Kasich or even Ted Cruz. In a one-on-one, -on -one, Donald Trump could not have got a majority for a while back then, but that's not the case now. There are a bunch of bullshit polls out there that show Ron DeSantis is beating Trump. Ron DeSantis is not going to, he would not beat Trump in a one-on-one -on -one race, but he's not going to have a one-on-one -on -one race and Donald Trump is going to prevail. There's going to be, you know, more and more Nikki Haley's out there. You know, Nikki Haley's campaign has all the earmarks of the great and notable Ruben Askew's campaign in 1984. Ruben Askew is the former governor of Florida who nobody knew then and nobody knows now. You know, she's not even going to be a speed bumper and asterisk in history. She's not going to matter. But because she was the first, she got some attention now. There's no consultant that could present a viable path for Nikki Haley to get the nomination. There's no donor who could look and say, she can get there. My money can help her. It's absolutely ludicrous to me that anybody has deluded themselves to think, yeah, there's, there's a, a market for a Nikki Haley. If, if Nikki Haley is the answer, you need to ask yourself, what goddamn question are you asking? <laughs> well, I think on that note, I don't think we can end better. Jeff Timmer, I want to thank you for joining me. Before we let you go, where can everybody find you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Timmer. You can find me, my podcast, A Republic If You Can Keep It, wherever you uh, subscribe and download your podcasts. All right, gang. And as always, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Thanks again for everybody. Jeff, thanks for coming. And everybody, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.